I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations. While the terms diversity, equity, and inclusion are not new, the movement across society, institutions, and businesses gained extraordinary momentum this year. Obviously, this push for increased understanding, awareness, and action was greatly inspired by George Floyd's death. It has grown from there. But what exactly does diversity, equity, and inclusion, often called DEI, actually look like? What tangible steps can business leaders take to integrate the principles, not as one-off projects, but rather ongoing standard operating procedures? And what might those changes mean for immediate adopters and companies slow on the uptake for any business's ability to compete and win in a next-generation workplace? Dr. Alexandria White works with organizations to create more diverse and inclusive workplaces. She serves as Director of Diversity for Reboot Excel and as an adjunct faculty in the University of Mississippi's School of Education. Dr. White has worked in retail banking, leadership, community activism, diversity planning, and higher education, and founded SAMS, Student Affairs Moms, the largest online community for mothers who work on college campuses. As you'll hear, Dr. White brings deep perspective and experience, as well as actionable tips to the conversation. Before our conversation, though, an ask from me to you. I hope you like these Working Capital Conversations. If so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. That's it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Alexandria White. Alex, thank you for your time. I appreciate you joining me. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. I've been looking forward to this as well. And we should start with apologies at what is surely the most obvious for you, but is probably important for the audience to understand and me to understand and make sure we, we all are speaking and understanding the same terms. What is diversity, equity, and inclusion? I mean, I, I say the words, I know the words individually, but what does it mean together and what does it mean as a business strategy? I thought about giving the whole academic version, but let's go with analogies. I love analogies. My grandpa used to give me analogies all the time. So let's go with analogies. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go with what your grandfather would recommend. Absolutely. Yeah. And let's go with something that we do every day, okay? And that's eat. So my analogy is going to be focused around food. You have so my you have my attention. <laughs> okay, and so diversity is me inviting everyone that is listening to my home for dinner. That's mm -hmm. diversity. Okay. Everyone, every listener. And inclusion is making sure that all of you eat. And belonging is asking or um, getting a preference for what kind of dish or cuisine that you would like. And so diversity is inviting everybody to dinner. Inclusion, let's make sure everyone gets something to eat. And belonging is that part of making it specific to what everyone's taste palate would enjoy. And so that is how I break it down for clients and people who just want a simple term because we throw it around so much. Right, Chris? Yes, we do. We're throwing around these terms, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. 
let's just break it down so that we can have a bear, uh, break down that barrier so that more of us can learn and build and be more inclusive of one another. So, And now to, to the point that you were just making, I said diversity, equity, and inclusion. And okay. you talked about belonging. Is belonging a synonym for equity or is it an additional concept that I ought to add into the three-word mix and, and make it a four-word mix? And so there's different versions of that. Equity in regards to that with the dinner analogy is the continuous um, serving of what you need of your dish or your cuisine or your 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 drink of choice. That's equity. Mm-hmm. And so belonging is making sure that we have something for you. Right. And that equity is we're going to continue to serve up whatever you like, Chris. I mean, is it, is it a rosé? Is it is it some sparkling water? We're going to continuously to serve that up. And what I mean by that in a professional setting is there is not a diversity finish line for companies or organizations or universities because we are continuously in the process of being equitable to mm-hmm. everyone involved. And so that's diversity, equity inclusion and belonging and the 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 analogy um or the the metaphor holds i would assume as well because even um at a dinner party at one point one might feel completely satiated i've had enough boy i you know great meal thanks alex gotta go but you know what pretty soon 12 hours six Mm -hmm. hours 24 hours I'm hungry sure. again. So you, you, it, it's you're never completely to to carry out your metaphor. I assume once mm-hmm. you, you're never completely full. Never, never. And so a lot of um, people are. Oh, we've just done this. We've just initiated or completed this new project or this new initiative to help a underrepresented group. Are we done? No, we're not. Yeah. No, we're not. And in order to continue to be more equitable, it's a process. It's continuously. And so uh, there's no finish line. And it's okay because we are all in this together. And so that is my passion, Chris. And that is what I hope to continue to give out to the masses and to people that I interact with. That while this could be another checkbox, it's got to be more than a moment. It's got to be a movement. So, Alex, I understand why I need to eat. Okay. Why do we need diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging as a business strategy? I think, one, it's a moral case and a business case. I'm going to start with the moral case. Yeah, tell me about both of them, please. Because the moral case, personal impacts professional. Things that happen to you at home with your partner in the morning, Chris, it can reflect your work throughout the day, right? That can be a numerous things. And so when I talk about two companies, well, what's the, what's the business case? What, why do we even need diversity right now? And is it going to be impactful? Yes, because companies are made up of people. Their intersectionalities, they are more than just a number, they are more than just a memo, and they are more than just things that produce um, items for your company. 
And so once companies understand that the personal impact impacts the professional, then we start talking about the business case. And the business case can be found in many reports from BCG to Deloitte to McKinsey that diversity and being inclusive can help and improve innovation. Hmm. Innovation is a is perpetuated and motivated and propelled when there are different voices in the room. Different voices bring different perspectives. Different perspectives fuel innovation. Innovation fuels productivity and profit. And so I think what's crazy is that you just sent um, out to some of your readers, uh, Chris, the Morgan Stanley second annual VC report. Yes. And I actually and I actually want to quote some things that I just read within 24 hours about how 70 venture capital firms. I want I want to repeat that 70 venture capital firms. They surveyed 70 um, percent. Um, found, or I'm sorry, 75% of those 70 venture capital firms strongly agreed that it is is possible to have an investment strategy, which brings profit, when you intentionally invest in women and people of color and underrepresented groups because it maximizes returns. I mean, that just came out. Yeah, wasn't that extraordinary? Wasn't that great data? Uh, and to your point, uh, yeah. these are folks, um, their business is about making investments that, that deliver outsized yeah. returns. If they can't do that, they're out of business. And, and yeah, that data, those data were, were extraordinary. Oh, and let's not forget, it was a 55% increase from last year. So this is 2020. And they did this survey in 2020, and it's a 55% increase from last year. That that That's my whole point right there. That's the business case wrapped up neatly in a bow, right? And so that is your moral case, and that is your business case when it comes to why diversity, equity, and inclusion matters. Based off of what you just said, and particularly your Note that uh, that those data went up, the, the the sentiment went up in 2020, and we know that this has been the most extraordinary, awful, insightful, eye-opening, terrible of years. It's been everything. Is it a trend based off of what's happened this year, um, or is this a sustainable business movement? Chris, I have been doing this um, 15 years. Um, ever since from community activism, um, from the south side of Chicago to Indiana to, you know, overseas. And this seems like a seminal moment. This really seems like a seminal moment. Why? And I'm, and I'm getting that a lot. And I, it, it starts with what I've seen, what I've seen. I started doing this work. Um, being intentional with doing this work with educating myself and making sure that I have the tools and making sure that I'm able to give this content and create this content for people so that we can embrace differences. And that started in 2013 um, with the um, acquittal of George Zimmerman for murdering Trayvon Martin. And that was my seminal moment. 
that was my impactful moment. And how can I use my voice, my energy and my strength to be more inclusive and to make companies and organizations more more inclusive? And so it's seven years later. And this this time, it feels different. Hmm. It really feels different. And let me give you some examples. Yes, please. Back um, chronologically, we have the pandemic. We, I mean, it started in, you know, becoming more and more February and March. Um, Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, and George Floyd, right? Back to back to back. And I, because I work in this space and because I am grateful that people um, value my opinion, I was inundated with texts and calls and impromptu FaceTimes. And it was from a, a segment of people, from CEOs to administrative assistants to students to deans of colleges calling me to pick my brain to see where my my headspace was. And how I feel this is a seminal moment is because the CEO of a Fortune 500 company canceled things for his whole um, company Mm. and did an impactful and soul-searching virtual town hall. And it highlighted what's wrong and how did we get here? And he also asked for permission for his African-American, select African-American employees to share their experience. And by the end of that virtual town hall, Chris, there was not a dry eye. I know I was very emotional as well as the participants. But that is the first time that I had saw what leadership can do and how it can impact their employees. I want to ask you about that leadership. Just bring bring that a little bit to life for me um, so I understand the specifics. I'm assuming this was uh, in the period right after or sometime after George Floyd, yes, is is what you're talking about? Yes, I think within uh, 48 hours or 72 hours, it was prompt. And and this was like a – it was like an all-hands – Yes. Zoom of some kind, you know, it was a virtual event and um, employees from all over the company or, or various folks could uh, could could participate and give their personal stories and share context and information. Is that what you're describing? Very much so. Wow. Very much wow. so. And it stuck with me because that was a shift. That was a complete shift from what I had been working with, where, you know, sometimes a memo is sent out or or there's there's nothing sent out. And this was that pivotal moment. And it has continued. And I have interacted and spoken with some very influential people. And while they might not get it perfect, Chris, they are trying and they are saying statements. And they are putting things out there. Um, I, I I peruse the internet, the internet and look for statements or diversity statements by companies. I want to know what companies are saying or are they putting anything out? There's a company called James Hardy. And I can't I don't have it verbatim, 
But they are a company that I have actually used as an example because their statement is so authentic. And it talks about we have not always been on the front lines of social justice and equality and being um, open to it, but we're taking a stand now. And so while I use that example is because they are so authentic in their response. And it shows me that people are trying, that they might not know exactly what to do, Mm. but they want to do something. And that's from CEOs to CHROs. And currently, um, I'm the director of diversity for Reboot Excel. It's a women-led, women-owned consulting company in Silicon Valley. And we are... Um, very, very intentional when we're going into companies and organizations is tell me about your leadership. Are they bought into this diversity, equity, inclusion? Because if they are not, then you're, then our work is going to be a little bit harder. And we have seen wonderful, wonderful results because it is a strategy. It's a business case and it's also a moral case. And so that is why I feel this is a movement now, Chris. This is pivotal. This, this things are changing, um, and so I'm I'm proud to be here. I'm proud to be in this space and working with people so that we can be more inclusive of others. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that you are. And I want to ask you in a moment about some of those results and about um, very tangibly and tactically what you've seen companies do, what companies can do. Um, and to, to deliver those results. But I want to follow on two points that you made previously. One I just found so thoughtful, which was your point, and it's around leadership, that you don't necessarily have to know all of the answers to be able to start asking the questions, is, uh, what, I, is what I heard you. That's how I interpreted what you were saying. Did I hear you right? You did. You did. And I, I tell people all the time, don't be afraid of the, the fear of paralysis will interrupt or disable anything that we want to do. And so people are scared. I don't want to be in the next news cycle. I don't want to say the, the wrong thing and, and be um, cancel. Cancel culture is quite prevalent now. Chris, sure. you know, right. Can, yep. Uh, yep. Everyone's canceled. He said this wrong thing. Um, we get no we we don't get any take backs. Yeah, um, now no, no forgiveness, not much room for error right now. And so, okay, I hear you. I understand that. However, your paralysis is not moving the needle. And what I hope to do and what people that I that do my work, we hope to do is we know you are afraid of doing the wrong thing. But as leaders, as progressive leaders, you have to understand that that is not an option. And so we give actionable steps. We're going to motivate you. I I love motivating people. I love putting out fires. I love um, understanding how some people feel about these courageous conversations or this touchy subject regarding diversity. But I'm also going to give you some actionable steps that you can do. And so that comes the part that comes the strategy and the action planning and the the secession planning what happens if and any anticipatory things that might come up 
as we go along on this diversity, equity, inclusion journey. And so that is the conversation. And um, it's, it's, it's quite prevalent. I mean, we help with language mm. and words and giving you tools on what to read, um, how to interpret that, taking the role of the other. And we deal with a lot of people who, you know, they're CEOs. They, they, they're quite busy um, already doing um, doing things. But how can we be more effective and how can we um, make sure that you're an inclusive leader from the top down? Don't let being afraid of doing the wrong thing keep you mm-hmm. from doing the right thing is what I'm hearing from you. Correct. The second question that I wanted to follow up on of, of your earlier point, I, I can't get past the power of this all hands Fortune 500 uh, leadership led event um, with the CEO. And I think you, 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 I think you said the CEO was a male, right? Didn't you say he? I think. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I just. Uh, yep. Um, what I'm curious, what 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 is the race of the CEO? And before you answer that, did that matter? Whichever race the CEO is, did did that matter? Was that a factor? You know, let's let's just be candid. Most CEO CEOs are white males, Chris. We yeah. we know I, that. I've seen I've seen the data. Yes, You've seen the data. Okay, yeah. and um, there are. And let's not even talk about um, the makeup of boards. You know, um, white I've seen male. the data. Exactly, exactly. And so we're going to use that as our as our foundation um, in this in this next segment. White males um, make up a great amount percentage of, you know, uh, CEOs, boards, private equities, um, an array of things in corporate America. We know that. And so I get the the question. Oh, can I talk about diversity? I'm a white male. Yes. Yes, you can. Because of your privilege and your access and your network, you would be a supreme ally in this discussion. And so I love working with white males who are on their journey to um, intentional allyship. And they're ready to have these um, courageous conversations. They're ready to say, I don't know what I don't know. Mm. How can you educate me? And another thing that I am noticing, and these are just from white males that I, I deal with um, in different aspects. There are many of them are coming to this conversation with a level of vulnerability and humility. And the conversations off record, they impact me and I know they impact them. Hmm. And it is so profound And we often don't give people in positions of power the ability to be vulnerable. And it's another call. It was another call that I was on. And the CEO was so vulnerable about his experience being a minority, as a white male, being a minority in a setting and how he changed and understood how it feels to be a minority in a setting. And this was on a company-wide call. 
And the and people were so impacted because I guess he had never shared that before. And it just showed that this CEO, he was the minority in a situation and how it changed and how he learns to take the role of the other and sometimes understands or empathize with people who might be the only in a room or the only on the board or the only underrepresented person in the room. And so those are that's that's what I'm seeing. That is what I'm seeing. And then, you know, everything is not, you know, uh, great. There are still some people who um, need some more education. But overall, Chris, whether they are white male CEOs um, or someone who is just on beginning on their journey, this has been very receptive, very receptive from my from my um, from my lens and my perspective. Yeah, well, that's excellent to hear. And those moments, what, what you're describing um, yes, in, in moments can be so powerful and can carry on beyond the, the actual time that they occur um, in, in terms of influence and in terms of being a common touchstone uh, across a company, I would assume. So, yeah, I can, I can imagine what the power is of, of those moments. Tell me earlier, before I took us back to uh, two of those points that you had made earlier, you were starting to talk about results. You were starting to talk about outcomes and ways, I think, in which companies can, um, and this is my word, not yours, maybe institutionalize or regularize um, mm-hmm. various behaviors or, or you know, processes towards goals. Tell me more about that. What, what do those results look like? And are there tips or guidance that you can give um, that folks can kind of grab a pen and paper and, and jot down some of some of your thoughts right now? Oh, yes. So, of course, in my other life, I'm a professor. So I love when people say, take out a note and um, a pen and paper. So um, during this time, please. As long as, as you don't as long as you don't grade my penmanship, I'm happy to take out the pen and paper. <laughs> OK, um, let's let's talk about some action steps. If we're going to talk about all of these things and mindsets and and words, we've got to do something that can be strategic. First thing, um, if you are in senior senior leadership and if you are beginning the journey of um, let's start the diversity, equity, inclusion conversation, you've, you've got to listen. You've got to listen to your um, community. You've got to listen to your internal and your external community. Um, I say external because our businesses are in places that we live, work and play. And so we are not an island in our corporations. And so making sure that you have that external, um, I say, pulse is very important. Listening sessions. Now, in this virtual world, you can create a virtual listening session by a couple of clicks. Invite everyone. Make sure that everyone's voice is heard, if possible. If you can't do a listening session, a lot of our clients are doing pulse surveys. They are sending them out. We're making sure that there is not survey fatigue because we know in this day and age, meetings are obsolete. So we do pulse surveys, Mm -hmm. climate surveys. You can't um, be inclusive if you don't know what the people need, right? That's that equity part. Next. A lot of people 
corporations, um, clients. Once we've listened, once we've heard what people want, now let's implement something. We've got to have a council. We've got to have a committee. We have to have an accountability piece to this because we want to make sure that we are doing this and that is just not a trend, that is just not a moment. It is a movement. And so I I can't think of the recent well-known company. I think it was Starbucks. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, but um, they are attaching bonuses and incentives around diversity efforts. And so that accountability piece can also be in the form of making sure that senior leadership or directors, that they are held accountable in the regards of making sure that their teams or their hiring practices are diverse. Next, mentorship is Mm -hmm. a key component, a key component in pushing the needle in regards to diversity, equity, and inclusion. People like to see people in senior leadership or visible role models that help them, that can show, hey, I see someone who looks like me in senior management and senior leadership. I think I can stay here. That helps with retention. Retention helps with profit. It, it, it decreases turnover. And so mentorship program, sponsorship program. You can see how many um, programs that many, many um, Fortune 500 companies are doing and implementing because they know that visible role models is just one metric on how they continue to move the needle in the diversity space. Another thing that we are talking about and that we are implementing is you set a goal. Um, one thing that we we um, advise against is no, do not do a quick or knee jerk reaction because people will know if it's authentic. And so this is a marathon, not a sprint. We usually start with three to five goals. Do not get overwhelmed because there's so much. There's so much work to do. We understand that. This is a marathon, not a sprint. We usually um, advise three to five goals that can be measurable. All right. I love data, Um, (laughs) quantitative data. I need to see visually that this is working. I need to see the numbers. And so we um, we have a diversity dashboard um, that we use for those metrics. Okay, what's a metric by 2022? We would like our board to be made up of 70 percent of um, a diverse representation. That's measurable. We can see that. By 2022, um, we would like these many number of employees to be in, in our leadership program and making sure that it's diverse. We can see it. We can quantify it. And we can do a plan to do that. And so those are some of the actionable steps um, that I often consult with and give those feedbacks because we want to see the, the needle moving. We want to be impactful 
intentional and we want to have an overall goal and be accountable um, in that regard. That's a fantastic list. Is there anything that I've stopped you too soon on that you wanted to add on that portion? It is a continuous process. And so I don't overwhelm people, but there's so much work to be done. And it's, it starts with who you, how you hire. Um, one of our companies or people that we work with is how are our hiring processes inclusive? And so, Chris, there is research out there that if you have an ethnic sounding name, that you are 14% less likely to get a call back. Yes, this is true. Wow. The experiment, wow. yes, the research has been done over and over again. And so companies are saying, okay, so we know that there are biases associated with people's names. Let's have blind resumes or let's remove identifying names from the application process. And it worked. You got a more diverse population and candidates by just that one simple gesture. Being a little bit mindful around being, yeah. being purposeful around the actions can make a difference. Being purposeful and understanding that. And then um, I actually do diversity search committee training, which every company, you know, when you're hiring people, there's more than likely a search committee. And so making sure that the search committee is objective and aware of their biases because they're the front line. They're the ones that are going to be interviewing those candidates. And so training evolves around making sure that the search committee is being having inclusive practices. And so that is just another arm of um, the diversity work starting on the front end um, with hiring. One needs to have mindfulness around the process as well, I would assume. Yes, you have to be mindful. It starts with your mindset and understanding that these can be barriers for people. Let's talk about when um, inclusive practices in the company. We, um, many of us have attended retreats and off-sites, and there are clients who you know, exotic animal hunting or cigar rolling or um, different things that might not be inclusive of people or late night um, events, off, off-site events. Are you taking into account people who have children? Are you taking into account of people who might not be able-bodied? And so, it's that constant mindset, even when someone is hired and things that you might not even think of. Um, and so we, we, we talk to people and, you know, some people disagree with exotic animal hunting and some people agree with it. But how is that? Is that an, an inclusive opportunity for everyone? And um, it, it's just that mindfulness or being able to, hmm. Let me step back and think about this for just a moment. How do you, on, on that front, though, let, let me ask one question that I, I, could, I could imagine somebody asking, which is, Alex, I hear you. And yes, I want to be inclusive. Of course, I don't want to do things that are going to, you know, annoy people, make them feel lousy, have them not be included. But 
I can't please everyone. I'm not going to come up with something that, that – and so you know what? If I got to just do some events and I'm not going to please everyone, Alex. Oh, man. That's so familiar, Chris. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm not going to be um, – everybody's so sensitive. They're yes, so everyone's so sensitive, Alex. <laughs> okay. And so I, I, uh, I, I do twofold right with this one. And I say, I understand things are changing. You have been doing this quite a long time. And many of them, well, no one has ever, you know, complained about it before. You know, everything's just so sensitive now. And I say, how can we work through this? And so one of my techniques and that because I've working with this is I don't want to ever think that we all have to be on the same page by the end of this meeting, that by by the end of this 90 minutes, we are all on, are going to agree that we should not do this because I think that's that's inauthentic. So while someone disagrees with me and pushes back and thinks I've always done this way, I always ask them this. Do you understand the point of view, the other point of view? And they usually say, yes, yes, I just don't understand why we can't continue to do this. And I say, what is the overall goal of this activity? And they say, oh, it's a fun time. We're building rapport. You know, we've done this. And I say building rapport or a fun time. Those are all um, aspects of someone that you want to keep in the company. Or that you want to build a relationship with. And so because you are in this leadership position, and I know that you understand that people managing and building relationships is one of the foundations of your success. Don't you think it would be a little bit more uh, profitable or inclusive to get more people and build better relationships? And they ponder and they think. Well, yes, I, 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 I agree, but I just don't want it. I, I just don't want it to be. And so, of course, we go back and back, back and forth. But what I want them to understand is one, as inclusive leaders, you have to take the role of the other. And as many reports have said, uh, Generation Z, um, millennials, up and coming um, people, diversity, equity, inclusion are some of the key factors where people are looking to spend their dollars, um, where they want to be employed and where they want to give their energy to. And so being sensitive or thinking, why do we have to change? It's a business and profit profitability aspect to that. I also want to tell you. Glassdoor, within the last couple of months, Glassdoor, of course, is a very, very um, influential aspect in, in hiring and recruiting. Yes. They will now have a metrics where people will be able to go on and say, this is a space or this is a company that is inclusive of everyone. Hmm. And so it will be broadcast. It will. It is now becoming yeah. broadcast. When companies and organizations are not taking a diversity lens and being inclusive. And so with all of this, 
and a lot of understanding and not necessarily agreement. I'm usually able to diffuse that conversation and come to an understanding on why it would be um, beneficial and advantageous for you to possibly alter something that you have been doing previously. What an important point that is. Uh, understanding does not have to equal agreement. Mm-hmm. You can di- you can disagree, but right. I'm hearing you say it's about putting yourself in a position to understand another mm-hmm. point of view. Doesn't mean you'll agree with it, but Correct. But, but maybe maybe just for a moment you can understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex as uh as I come to a close on the conversation, um, the question that's coming to my mind, I know I know the answer to it, but I'm really curious about the why, um, okay. which is, are you hopeful? And I know you are because I can hear it. I hear, I mean, that's just, that's got to be your personality. You're, you surely are not a person who, who goes into, you can hear that you're not a person who goes into something um, w- without hope. And yet, we're approaching, you know, we're approaching six months since George Floyd. Um, that we are in a politically charged period. Um, as you and I are having this conversation, we're still in a pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. There are, you know, we didn't even talk about that, and we can save that for another conversation about the um, uh, d- diverse impact that the pandemic has had on uh, diverse populations um, in this country and, frankly, frankly, around the world. Uh, but as you think about DEI within corporations, within companies, within business, um, are you hopeful? And might I add, are you so hopeful, and I sure hope you don't take this the wrong way, that perhaps we could look forward to a day when you will be out of a job? Oh, that just gave me goosebumps, Chris. It it really did. And I uh, pray one day I will not have to have these discussions. I pray that for my my grandchild, my future grandchild, and their children. And so, um, as my this 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 is closing, I have to be hopeful. And I want to talk about hopeful in a personal and a in a business case. Personally, I am hopeful because someone listening on this call maybe get another perspective. Maybe they hear another perspective and they take something that I've said and they go implement that. That's personal um, hope. I get um, hopeful when I will never forget it. And I'm, I'm trying not to get emotional, but it was a day, two days after George Floyd and I'm at the post office, right? And I'm sitting in my truck and I'm and I'm I'm not focused. I know I'm not. I'm just dealing with a lot. And this white lady knocks on my on my truck window, Chris. And I'm like, okay. I look up at her, and I roll my window down. Of course, there's a. I'm perplexed. A perplex, uh, my face is. I'm like, what What does she want? And out of nowhere. This lady says, I don't know you. Um, I am sorry for what has happened in our country. I love you. Chris, me and her just cried in the parking lot of a post office in Oxford, Mississippi, a random stranger. 
And actually, this is my first time sharing that story. And that gives me hope. Random strangers who know that this is just more than a business case, that this is a moral case. And so that gives me hope professionally. On the business side, I do this every day, Monday through Friday and sometimes Saturdays. And it is so many people, doesn't matter who they are, a CEO or someone who is just on a council. They're ready to have these courageous conversations and they're ready to mess up and learn and keep going. Because overall, we are more alike than different. And that this is a seminal moment in everyone's in everyone's lives. And it is not going away pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and post-pandemic. And so that is my hope. And that is why I do that, do this every day. And that is, that's my demeanor. And so thank you for that question. Thank you. Well, thank you for that answer. And thank you to those two women in a parking lot in uh, a post office in Oxford, Mississippi, for giving us all something uh, to aspire to. Alex, thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, and thank you, most obviously, for the work that you do every day. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for this opportunity. Mm-hmm.